Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Iguodala to Curry. Back to Iguodala. Up for the layup. Oh, it's blocked by James. LeBron James with the rejection. Welcome to the Chase Down on Almighty Baller Radio, part of Dash Radio. I'm Justin Rowan with my co-host Carter Rodriguez. Carter, how are you doing today? Doing great. Uh, it's the eve of Cavaliers Celtics Game Four. Um, hopefully, Game Four goes Woo-hoo. better than Game Three. What should have been the last game of this series? <laughs> yeah, I wrote my preview for Fear the Sword, and I was like, "Well, you know, the Cavs, uh, you know, are at home looking to close out the w- w- what." They, they 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 didn't <laughs> win game three. This isn't over. We have to go back to Boston. Okay, so if you have a bold prediction for game four, is Marcus Smart going to outplay LeBron James again? Uh no, no, he won't. You don't think so? No, unlikely. Um, improbable, even. <laughs> uh, you, you, do you think it was a ploy to trick the Celtics into investing into Marcus Smart moving forward? You technically cannot rule it out because. They just turned him into, a, like, even more of a folk hero. Like, I mean, like, like some of the threes. Seven of ten it wasn't just that he absurd. went 7 of 10. It's like, he took some audacious ones. Like, there was oh, one with, yeah. like, 18 on the shot clock. He just pulled off the dribble. And it was just I, nothing I, but that. I was watching the game with my family, and I, I do take a lot of the blame for this loss because I have watched three playoff games over the last two years out at my cabin. Uh, they were game right. three nice and four against Toronto. Cabin. What's that? Nothing. <laughs> they were games three and four against Toronto, and then there was game three against Boston. So I will stay in Winnipeg for the rest of the playoffs, for those wondering, because I am actually that superstitious. But I was watching the game with my family, and my dad's like, does this smart guy normally do this i'm like no he's about a 36 29 shooter for his career yep he is awful at uh scoring the basketball and he scored like 27 points <laughs> yeah i don't know it's just first off the entire energy of the game was ridiculous it was like uh a pickup game for well, the we, first we've half. seen that the best way to beat the Cavs if you're a non-Warriors team is to bait them into not caring. So in a lot of ways, I, I think we should have seen it coming. But with the Cavs, how they had played throughout the playoffs, you'd think, okay, they, they're they're still going to take care of business. They're going to execute when they need to. Um, but Isaiah Thomas being out for the game uh, – combined with a 44-point win in the previous game was, like, the perfect situation to bait the Cavs into not caring once again. Yeah, I mean, like... And it was just... And plus, it was, it was working. Game. Plus, it was working in the first half. Like, they were... <laughs> the offense was flowing, and... Everything yeah, that, was that nice. was the other problem. And, like... It, it, and they, I mean, some of the passes they were trying were so stupid. Like, they were going <laughs> up for, like, you know, these... You know, someone had, like, a clear path for the layup, and then they'd, like, throw these ridiculous angle bounce passes that the other person couldn't catch because they were stupid angles, but they were just being silly. 
Like, oh, extra pass. It was not like fun, good basketball extra pass. It was like, we're dicking around. Let's see if we can make some cool highlights and get some wide open dunks, extra passes. And- yeah, and, and the other problem was that everybody not named LeBron was playing well for a while. Yeah. So I think that baited LeBron into thinking, okay, I can take the night off. Everybody's got it going. I'm going to make some silly passes and stuff like that. And the Cavs were just playing sloppy, uninspired basketball. And then once Boston actually made that run, it was tough for LeBron to, sorry for this, but flip the switch and once again keep trying. Like, yeah, LeBron was I tweeted, off. Yeah, I tweeted this the night it happened. I was like, I don't think LeBron ever accelerated past light jog. No, he really didn't. It was like just 11 awful. points. I mean, he was getting Kelly Olynyk switched on to him and just getting stonewalled. <laughs> Uh, and he settled for so many bad yeah, shots. Just too. settling, horrible turnovers like that where he just wasn't even engaged. I mean, like it was probably one of the worst five to ten games of his career. If it was just a quiet night from LeBron, the Cavs win this by ten. Yeah, it, but it was an actively horrible game from him, and that's fine. I mean, it's what maybe his first terrible game as a cavalier since he's come back yep, but it's fine um, like just I, just to be clear we're, we're talking about it and we're identifying that it was awful we we we, we don't want to like trade lebron <laughs> no no I, I i i would not advocate that at all we, we we still like him it's not like that i saw i got so someone so mad in my mention saying like he threw the game or was point shaving and it's like we got to deal with this shit all the time. I'm like, isn't it worth it <laughs> to have to deal with this like once every 400 well, he, playoff games? He did exactly help things after the game. Like his comments would, if you were one of the conspiracy theorists that believed that he threw that game, him going out there and saying, I think we need some adversity. Um, if there was a time for it to happen, it'd be now. I saw one of the I more played- aggressive bronze stands in my timeline suggest that perhaps... He had decided going in to play this way <laughs> to <laughs> to uh, like incept into the minds of Kyrie and Kevin that they were going to have to win a game in the finals without him or some or without him playing a great or something super fucking weird. And <laughs> it's like, guys, sometimes guys just have bad games. So yeah. it's okay. He is human. I know it doesn't seem like it, but he is human. He sure is. Uh, it was it was weird. Marcus Smart was weird. Jonas Jarepko was weird. And you know that Brad Stevens doesn't respect or care about Jonas Jarepko. Because when he was asked about him in the postgame, he's like, yeah, Jarepko had a good game for us. Like, he didn't even call him by his first name. I'll, I'll bet he's called him <laughs> Jonas like three times. Yeah. Hey, he got some gooning in. Hey, he got some gooning in, man. Yeah, yeah he, was, I mean, he was awesome in that in that game. Like, there's no way around it. Like... Uh, it was really impressive the way that he, that Jurepko was able to play for them. But, you know, uh, it's just stuff that's just, even though Jurepko might be a better play than like Gerald Green, who probably should have never had a place in the series. Uh, and, you know, Jurepko is a bit more mobile, better defender, kind of like a worse shooting, but more athletic Kelly Olenek. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's you not know, a terrible I, I, characterization. I think, I think he's going to play a little bit more in game four and five. But, I don't know, it just goes down to the fact that, like, it took 
the horrible energy it took LeBron actively harming his team and it which happens yeah, all the time and and it took uh Marcus Smart shooting 7 of 10 from 3 and it took Avery Bradley's 3 rolling around on the rim for about 47 freaking seconds ugh that that was the worst part cuz like don't even get a chance to like heave up a desperation shot mm-hmm. Avery Bradley's shot just had to keep rolling around and, until it left point one of a second. Yeah, it sucks. So, I mean, it, it took and all that. I knew that. they were going to hit a shot. I yeah. knew it was going to be a buzzer beater because yeah. that was, like, the tone of the game. Yeah, it, it just was one of those nights. And it took all that for the Celtics to win by three. <laughs> like, it was the ultimate everything went well for the Celtics. Like, I guess you could say in the first half, like, Kevin Love going off. Is something you might not expect in terms of regression for the Cavs, but also Kevin Love has been going off the whole series against them. Yeah, Tristan Thompson at the line probably isn't going to happen again. Yeah, but he'll also get more field goal attempts than free throws most of the time. Like they were hacking the shit That's out good. of him, and a couple of them were maybe, very maybe close all to the time ones. working with. Maybe all the time working with Kyle Korver has paid off finally. Yeah, here's hoping. And, uh, <laughs> it it just seems like there's just no way this is going to happen again. Uh, Unless the Cavaliers come out with terrible energy again. And, like, now that the Warriors are in the finals, uh, it seems pretty foolhardy of this team to think that they can screw around anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, They did not uh, get any help from the Spurs in, in terms of the whole rest thing. Do you, do you care um, that the Warriors are getting, uh, I guess it'll be three more days of rest, assuming that uh, the Cavaliers take care of business in five? Not at all. Um, I, I think the uh, the six days of rest is going to be more than enough for the Cavs. Um, I think we saw both in Game 1 against Boston as well as Game 1 against Toronto that the Cavs were affected by re- rust to some extent. Um, I, I thought both of those games were sloppy. They didn't shoot as well as they could. Um, LeBron has complained saying that off days hurt his body more than days where he's playing. Which that is such nothing a, about him. That is such a BS brag. I don't buy it for a second. <laughs> I think that's a classic I buy, LeBron. I buy that he buys that. Yeah, I yeah. buy that. LeBron he buys absolutely that. thinks that's true, even though it's def- That's like LeBron tricking himself. That you know, like when Kobe pretends to be deep. <laughs> that's what that is. Man, <laughs> but he believes it. So I, I, I think the six days is going to be more than enough. I think that the Cavs have been working on defensive schemes for the Warriors all year, um, or at least all playoffs. That's a lot of what they've been practicing. Um, I, I don't necessarily think they've put all their focus on their opponents because they, they haven't really needed to do that. Um, as I'm talking right now, Fred McLeod just tweeted out, LeBron was asked keys for tonight's game. His response, win. That's good. That's that's yeah. very good, LeBron. I, I would re- I would agree with that assessment. It's a big key. Um, yeah, it's it, it's going to be interesting. Uh, I, my only concern is it gives the Warriors a little more time to plan specifically based on what they've seen in the playoffs. Um, and another concern is that the Warriors Twitter gets to start shit talking the Cavs three days early. Like we got to focus yeah, that's, our that's a little annoying. We got to focus our slander on Boston, which feels like a waste. It does. And, I, I'm and, I'm wasting good tweets right yeah, now. Yeah, like what are we doing? Oh, it's disgusting. <laughs> like they're 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 getting a jump on us and it feels terrible. So other than that, 
It's all fine. I don't care. Like it will will be they'll, they'll be fine. They'll be okay. They'll be rested. Um, I think that, and and I think it's important to note that it's not like the Cavs losing moved the series back to get the Warriors more rest. Right. The Warriors were getting these nine days no matter what. Yep, it's um, true. And, and the Cavs that's, just and, get a little bit less. And that's a bit of a bummer because, uh, you know, it's more time for Clay Thompson to bump out of his slump, more time for Andre Iguodala to heal up. Uh, but that, does him having days off help him out of his slump? I don't know. Who knows? Like, it's not like he's dealing with an injury. I feel like I guess it's just more distant, rhythm. you know, like it's it's something that he was dealing with before, you know. I guess, you know, maybe he will, maybe that... Maybe make, he dwells on it. Maybe he makes it worse. Who knows? But, like, you know, it gives them more time to get all the way healthy, like more time for Durant to rest his knee. Um, they're they're looking, like, other than Iggy, they look pretty completely healthy. Yeah. But Iggy true. is super important for them. He looked kind of hobbled at times in that uh, Spurs series. Uh, not as hobbled as uh, Kawhi Leonard, but hobbled nonetheless. And, uh, you know, that's one of the things where, like, because, like, if you're looking for, for vulnerabilities, like, if they if they can't just throw Iggy on LeBron, that's a big one. Yeah. Yeah, that's big. Because then if Durant has to spend most of the game guarding LeBron, that's going to impact him. Like, th- that's going to take something out of his legs for sure. I, I see what you're doing, though, and I'm not going to let you fully turn this into a Warriors pod. We already had that last last time. I'm not going to let you go full chops. I'm not going to let you completely turn this into a Warriors pod. Can I can I say one more thing about yes. the Warriors? <laughs> I noticed we'll probably have a few more Warriors things. Yeah. I'm just I'm just giving you the warning. That's fair. Um, I'm on notice. It's like you know, like warning, uh, giving warnings to both dugouts at a ba- you know, when someone gets plunked at a baseball game. It's like, hey, exactly. One more, and you're out of here. Uh, yeah, I, I know baseball. Yeah, big baseball guy, Justin Rowan. Uh, but I think that. I thought it was interesting watching both the Warriors' reaction and their fans' reaction to winning the West last night. Seemed a little joyless, didn't it? It seemed like they were talking themselves into feeling joy. Yeah, other than Jacob Greenberg, who I genuinely think is so happy. No, no, he he needed a stress-free Western Conference. Yeah, like, but it just felt like the team themselves were like... There was not a lot of joy. Like even like last year, I thought that the Cavs march through the East felt like a formality, mm-hmm. and they still like the team looked really happy to be going back and seemed excited. Feels like the yeah. Warriors are just still really pissed off. <laughs> like, and they're not going to like be made whole until they get a title again to like make up for their three oneification. Like that, the three one just completely like wrecked their joy. Yeah, and, and Durant didn't seem too thrilled either. No, I, I, you know, I think that like that team has more like maybe it's just they have more riding on it on a title than the Cavs do. Oh, for sure. I mean, the expectation is completely on them to win. Yeah, like, and most people last night, or at least most media people, are talking about the possibility of a sweep of the finals. Like they're. They feel like this is a very, very heavy favorite. And for them to not win, for them to go, okay, we blew a 3-1 lead, then we added Kevin Durant to 73-win team, and we still didn't win, 
would be devastating. Yeah, I'm going to be really interested to see what their energy is like if they win because I do think that the I don't I don't know if the th- if losing the finals last year really like even sunk in for them until like a couple months later. Like they seemed like <laughs> walking off the floor and I remember reporters at the scene kind of saying as much it was like it was like they didn't know they could be beaten. So they weren't <laughs> mad. They weren't sad. They were like, just like, whoa. And I think how they respond to a loss will be very interesting. Yeah, yeah very much so. And like, I don't know. It's just, I don't know. Just the whole energy. Or even a close game. Yeah, the whole energy between the two teams and fan bases has kind of flipped. And it's really interesting because like the Cavaliers were the team in last year's finals that were the ones that were able to take the joy out of the game for the Warriors. Like, yeah. they were able to muck it up, and it was a slog, and, like, it was ugly, and it was, like, this ruthless efficiency. And the Warriors, they've always been at their best, and, like, this is kind of where, you know, C- CMS Fandiari is always, like, kind of gets pissy with Kerr because he want, they're at their b- best traditionally when they're playing loose and free and flying all over the court and turning the ball over and... Uh, you know, like like <laughs> careless, like just joyful yeah. carelessness, and like in the playoffs so far, they've been this cold, ruthless machine. Like even when they have highlight plays, it doesn't feel like oh they're having so much fun. <laughs> it's not that energy mm-hmm. anymore. And I, it, I have a question for you. Yes, out of the teams they've played in the playoffs, I'm not talking about their regular season point differentials and the theoretical rosters. How many teams that they've played in the playoffs are better than the Pacers? Um, they played the Blazers in the first round. I think the Blazers are probably as good, maybe a little bit worse. Without Nurkic? Uh, yeah, probably worse without Nurkic. Because um, they were like on pace to like, win 37 games before he got there. All right. So what about Utah without George Hill and a banged-up Gobert? I think Utah is better. I'm sorry. I think I'm, so. I'm too. not there. I'm not. I'm not here. Yeah, for I this. think so too. I agree. I agree. Um, but then now the, the Spurs, Spurs without Kawhi and Parker. I don't know, man. Like you know, like you you hesitate to criticize them because they're so like their that system is sucks. their system's so good, and they really did compete in three of those four games. But man, like it's just they don't have any. I mean, it's not even fair to say they suck. They're best <laughs> no. Player the, the was guys out. That were on the <laughs> like, I mean, like you're asking Jonathan Simmons to be a primary pick and roll creator. A guy you're who, asking Lamarcus Aldridge to not be useless. Oh man, Marcus, like setting money on fire. <laughs> he he was aggressively not good. Yeah, I saw someone joke that like he was posting up one step inside the three point line. <laughs> <laughs> Because he literally could not get positioned for shit. Like I've never seen someone look so weak that is built like he is built. The the slander from Lamarcus Aldridge was the only entertaining thing from that series. Like <laughs> I think it was Warriors World that actually had a really good tweet. They're like, Warriors got so lucky that they didn't have to play Lamarcus Aldridge this round. Yeah, no kidding, man. Like. It was just kind of, I mean, I don't think the Spurs did him a ton of favors, like getting, like setting him action to get him deeper position, but still, ugh. I mean, he gets switched on to Steph Curry, and he 
dribbles once and fade away, fades away from like mid range. Yeah, he was it's brutal. Like, what are you doing? And he's just so not Spursy. I just don't know if he's going to be there long term. Well, even year one, there were rumors that they were trying to trade him. Yeah, I think they. Know. I think they know um, that he is a disappointment. You know, and and not. I mean, it's not like he's making that much because of the cap jump. So it's not like he's some albatross, but like if you can find someone to overpay you to take him, like Phil Jackson, um, who maybe likes traditional post-up big men, that is, I think it, it could be wise to explore that. Because their rotation yeah. oh, players sure. are not as good as they used to be. Is that fair to they, say? They they have a lot of work to do. Yep. There's no easy next step for them. Yep. Having Kawhi Leonard gives them a big, big head start. But outside of that, it's it's not pretty. Yep. And then they'll probably just sign Chris Paul this summer, and then we'll, we won't talk about it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Then they can blow series leads together. Oh, wow. That's cute. Yeah, I don't know. I, uh, I thought yeah. that was. So cute. I just wanted to talk about that ener- the energy with the Warriors run because it's just been kind of joyless, and I just wonder if they 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 can't really have fun again until they just beat the Cavs. Which if they don't, mm-hmm. holy shit, it will be oh, the man. slander will be on. I asked Warriors fans if they were excited to make the finals, and kind of got like a mixed bag. And but one person responded like, "Well, are you still going to make jokes if they don't win the finals?" I'm like. Hell yeah, I am. That shouldn't. <laughs> I don't think my why is joke that even a question. I don't think why is yeah. that a question? Yeah, I don't think my joke should affect how much you enjoy your team getting to the finals. I, I shouldn't have that kind of control over your life. <laughs> oh man, the the slander would be just absolutely ridiculous. But it would be. I, I mean, delicious. We we talked about the reduced rest and how that impacts the cows, but I guess. Any concerns that I have with that have kind of been outweighed by the positive right now. Like, Kevin Loves, as you mentioned, is playing fantastic against the Celtics. Um, J.R. Smith, now you you can actually feel good about him taking shots. Like, Which you really couldn't was a, do most no, of the year. No, you, you couldn't. He he was he was struggling with open jumpers and he's starting to shoot like J.R. Smith. He's starting to take J.R. Smith's shots and he's taking them like with no hesitation either, which is really nice to see. Like I was so mm-hmm. sure that three at the end to tie it of game three was going in. Oh yeah, yeah, like no absolutely. doubt in my mind. And like I haven't really gotten to feel that way most of the year. And also importantly, Kyrie Irving's playing really well. Yeah, like. Against the Celtics, he's shooting 59.5% from the floor, 46.7% from three. And that last game especially, like, I, I thought against the Celtics in every game, he's looked quick, he's moving around well. Um, but he was taking some Kyrie shots and, and making them Yeah, in, but, in game two. By the way, Kevin Love is averaging in the three games of the series 27 points <laughs> on 5.7 made threes a game. Uh, fifty-four point eight percent from three. Man. Eleven boards, nine and nine point seven defensive boards. Uh, with a plus-minus of nineteen. Like he's been amazing in the series, and like he wasn't even averaging double-digit shots per game in the playoffs so far. And I remember Tyron Lue going into the series talked about how he needed to feature him more, and like we both were like, oh well, you know, like sometimes Kevin's shots are just kind of a function of. You know, the yeah. offense 
working. They're, it's not a it, concentrated effort. But I really do feel like, especially in game three, they were like, we're going to love. Like, they were actively funneling shots to him and looking to screen for him and create actions that gave him a shot. And he stayed aggressive, like, even in lulls where he, he isn't getting as much touches. He's he seemed motivated. He's still battling for boards. Um, it, it's hard not to be encouraged with wh- how well he played. Yeah, I agree. Uh, he's been awesome, I think. JR has been awesome, I think. Corver has been kind of a disappointment, I would say, in the conference finals. But it's funny. Yeah. Every time I look up Corver, and I'm going to do it right now, uh, it feels <laughs> like his playoffs haven't been as good as I wanted them to be. And then I look at his stats, and he's shooting over 40% from three. Yeah, he's 40.8% for this playoffs from well, three. Maybe it's because he was shooting 50% since joining the Cavs yeah. pretty much. But, like, I mean, and he's missing some wide-open shots. So, like, if th- that turns around, whew. he's saving them for the finals. Yeah, I wonder how many of these open looks they're going to generate against the Warriors, though. I mean, just the fact that the Warriors switch so well off ball. You have to, re- and that's actually where Corver is really important, is because he's got that lightning quick release, and he does that thing where a lot of shooters, when you get into their airspace, they don't shoot, which is smart, right? Normally, but like there are the the best shooters, the Clay Thompsons, the Kyle Corvers, when someone charges them, the, in, if unless their hand is up, like a closeout doesn't prevent them from shooting. It's getting your hands into where their shot wants to go is what prevents them from shooting. And, yeah. and like, a guy just closing towards Corver doesn't keep him from shooting. Nope. He'll jab step and then fire, like, yeah. right in their face. Like, yeah, like, he, it, you have to actively be jumping and in the way. It's not just a matter <laughs> of being in the space. So, like, against a team like the Warriors, who really excels at getting into the space, that's why you have all these guys that that play them that are okay three-point shooters but not great or maybe they have a slower release, they just get murdered against the Warriors. They just don't help. They're not there anymore. And yeah, and it's yeah, because it's, it's because of that reason. Like, they close out the space well, so you need guys like JR, you need guys like Corver that can just fire away with no regard for the guy that's in front of them uh, unless they actually affect the way they get their shot off, which is really hard to do. Well, you really have to yeah. be in their chest to, to bother the way they get their shot off. Um, it's hugely important. So if he kicks it back up to his normal uh, rate, which I think is very possible, um, then he's going to be a huge asset against the Warriors. Uh, and mm-hmm. once again, he's playing really well. It's just not quite – he's not playing insane like some of the other uh, some of the other guys. What have you thought about Richard Jefferson's minutes thus far? Because I still am not sure this is actually the series for him. It's just a matter of getting him ready for the finals. Yeah, I think they were trying to start to get him going, get him used to playing again. Although in game three, he, he only played the four minutes. But uh, in the other games where he actually got some time, I, I thought he, he was pretty good. Um, he, he was getting a little frustrated in this series. I, I don't think he likes the... Um, Ticky tack fouls and stuff that Boston does um, after shot attempts, but um, yeah, I, I don't have any real concerns about Richard Jefferson. I, I think he could play really good defense still, um, but Boston doesn't have anyone that's like, okay, Rich, go, go get him, lock him up, go go go, shot him go down, chase go chase him make around. Him yeah, 
so he's basically just kind of floating when he's playing against the Celtics. Like it's like, okay, what am am I going to guard Jay Crowder? Okay, I'm I'm just going to stand here. Yeah, it was actually something really interesting in uh, Brad Ward, who's at Fear the Swords, uh, one of Fear the Swords' newest writers. He just wrote something that's going up at noon today on Tuesday. Uh, he wrote about how Isaiah Thomas being out messed with the Cavaliers' rhythm defensively because, like, they actually have thrived um, when they've had a point of attack in the playoffs. Like, they blitz yeah. Thomas super hard, and that gets everyone engaged and active and moving. And mm-hmm. playing in, like, a base defense where, you know, no one really commands the double, it actually, like, messed with their intensity a little bit which it makes a degree of sense to me i thought it was an interesting idea and yeah that's a really good point and i think that you kind of saying that about rj is like yeah that kind of makes sense like he's just like you're just playing base defense it's not exciting it's not you know like shit they're playing four on three we've got to scramble and rotate and then everyone's flying around and like you get the deep you get the offense maybe speeding up doing that because they have to make quicker Mm -hmm. decisions because they have that four on three advantage and that's how the Cavs were able to force turnovers, get into transition. I think uh, it was in Ward's piece that Celtics only had, like, nine turnovers uh, in Game 3. Yeah. And, like, there you go. It's that kind of stuff. So it'll be interesting to see how Lou, like, generates that defensive intensity when they're not blitzing. Because I don't think it makes sense just to blitz Marcus Smart. Like, he's not that kind of threat. So they, they should still play their base defense. But it'll be interesting to see how they adjust and... Uh, you know, if if they'll try to generate that kind of chaos elsewhere. Yeah, and Jefferson's never been shy about admitting that he doesn't really care about what's going on when they're they're not being pushed. Like in the regular season or other rounds, he's recording podcasts between games. He's um he, like he he he's at the end of his career. Like he's only going to give effort if he absolutely needs to. Um, so. I think you're right. This just isn't the series for him. Uh, one guy that kind of has dropped off, though, this series has been Amon Shumpert. He hit those two, like, wild shots in Game 3, um, back-to-back, where he was, like, kind of dancing around with the ball. And I I, I don't think one was a bank, but it, it they were just stupid shots to take that he ended up hitting. But outside of that, he's kind of – his sharpness on the defensive end has once again left him. And that's not exactly ideal. I thought he's been um, fine against Isaiah. Yeah, he, he was fine against Isaiah, but that was like, what was that? A game and a half? Yeah, I guess. But I guess to me, like, it's a one-game sample where I don't think anyone was super locked in on defense. That's true. Like, I but I I, I didn't I didn't think he was great in uh, game yeah. two. Shumpert's another like, one of those guys that like, if you give him a, like a, a a big job, I think he's a lot better. Like, I think it's worth yeah. noting that, like, one of the most impactful stretches of defense in his career was two years ago in the finals guarding Steph. Yep. Like, he did a pretty nice job. And this is a guy who often does not do a pretty nice job. Like, I don't think he... I don't think um, Schumpert takes much pleasure in the, in, a, in a quietly efficient defensive performance. <laughs> <laughs> he definitely does not. He... um. He definitely believes that he is an offensive star to some extent. Yeah, and like, and he likes like, oh, I'm a shutdown guy. I'm guarding the best guy. Like guarding Marcus Smart provides him no renown. He doesn't get anything <laughs> out of that, so he doesn't put in the same defensive focus. I mean, 
I mean, shit. I can't I, believe you held Marcus Smart to 35% shooting. Yeah, I mean, oh, my God. I mean, shit, J- it never happens. JR and Schumper both fouled Marcus Smart on a three-point attempt in that game. <laughs> I mean, it's come on. You know, like, basic attention to detail stuff. Like, I mean, even I, I listened to JR at practice the next day, and uh, he was saying that, like, they asked him about hitting his big shot at the end. He's like, like, yeah, I didn't really celebrate because I was pissed off that we were <laughs> that we were even down in the first place. So I think they're all annoyed with themselves. Yeah, I, I I think Game Four is going to get a little ugly for Boston. Very well, could. Um, it just feels like a thing where they're going to realize they don't actually have any good players that can generate offense for them. Uh, Al Horford's nice and cute. Jonas Terebko's <laughs> cute. Avery Bradley's a lot probably, of cute, a lot of cute. Players. Avery Bradley's probably their best offensive player still going, and like, yeah, he'll give you seventeen a game within the flow of the offense, but he's not just going to generate it. Man, how good is Tristan Thompson? <clears throat> he was so amazing in that game; it's insane. Like, it really it bugs me that that game was wasted from him. He he single handedly kept them from blowing that game a quarter earlier. And and that's what he does. Like when the Cavs really struggle and their offense falls apart, he just cleans up everything and gives them like second and third chances or or, or gets the bucket himself. Like that that was one of his better games, I, I thought. And not not just because of how well he shot the line, but seven offensive rebounds, um, just absolutely dominating on both ends of the floor. And and leading some to have a hot take that uh, the team needs to move on from LeBron and build around Tristan Thompson. I can't believe anyone didn't realize that was satire right away. <laughs> I just was stunned by it. It was that. outstanding. It's obviously a joke, guys. Don't be so sensitive. <laughs> by the way, Tristan Thompson, another game of uh tw- of twenty percent or better offensive rebound rate. He had twenty one point nine in this game, playing. 42 minutes seven offensive rebounds is just ridiculous like that's tireless and and that doesn't even count like the possessions where he's battling for the ball and a celtic like knocks the ball out of bounds yeah and the Cavs get another possession yeah if if we can just get a stat called the tristan thompson which is getting fouled on an offensive rebound attempt Mm -hmm. i would love that like that would (laughs) that's what i want to see because here here is an outstanding quote sorry to cut you off but Avery Bradley says the Celtics must contain Tristan Thompson and Cleveland's three-point shooters. Says the Celtics can win if they do that, even if LeBron goes off. <laughs> that seems like a lot. Yeah, I guess you can win if you can do those two things that nobody seems to be able to do. <laughs> I guess. If, like, If you can stop <clears throat> one of the uh, most potent three-point offenses ever put together and the and while rebounding scram- machine yeah. you and while desperately no scrambling to do that and to slow down LeBron James like I guess like maybe that's a hint for the kind of game plan they're going to try to run here which is let LeBron get his um traditionally that's a horrible game plan and gets you- and it usually causes your defense to completely fall apart because after LeBron dunks on you for the 10th time in a row all of a sudden you start scrambling, yeah. and that's when he that, starts finding the shooters. I think that's probably the hardest game plan in the league to stay committed to, outside of maybe let Curry go off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it's so demoralizing when Curry is raining threes or LeBron is, like, raining dunks. I mean, LeBron had his first dunk in the series in Game 3. I don't know if you realized that. 
Wow. Like they've actually done a pretty I, good job of like not giving him a clear runway. It's just that he's been he was amazing game one and two. Uh and they yeah, he is That a, doesn't even sound right. No, it's it's dead it's a hundred percent accurate. It was like I think the second quarter, it was like on an inbounds lob. It was his first dunk of the series. Huh. And uh I don't know, it just seems like all the X's and O's stuff still goes against the Celtics and probably even more so without Isaiah Thomas, even though, you know, you've got the Matt Moore's the world. I mean, I guess we might as well talk about it. I mean, Matt Moore is kind of, CBS Sports has kind of been on this crusade, kind of indicating that no Isaiah actually helps them in this series against the Cavs. Do you agree with that? Um... That's tough because I, I think they are much better suited defensively. Um, and it, it does help them because it baits the Cavs into trying less. Like, I think that's the most important thing. Because, um, <laughs> as I said, unless you're the Warriors, that's the best way to beat the Cavs. We, we saw that with the Atlanta Hawks. Just rest everybody, and all of a sudden you can beat the Cavs. Mm-hmm. Um but Tim Hardaway, like, I understand where they're Mascala. coming from because the, I understand where he's coming from because the Cavs have no trouble slowing down and shutting down Isaiah Thomas. Um, his physical limitations become an issue, and then the Cavs just go after him every single play on the defensive end. Um, and no one's better when, at that than the Cavs. No, not at all. But at the same time, Isaiah Thomas being out theoretically you would have great guard defense there with Avery Bradley and Marcus Smart but Kyrie has really gone off in in, in the last two games here um so it, it's a little tough like I, I I get where he's coming from but ultimately I don't think that's a formula for success moving forward although investing in Isaiah Thomas long term giving him a five-year deal after next season I don't think that's necessarily the best move going forward either. Yeah, it's starting to feel like the plan, the smartest plan, if you're not going to flip that pick, which, you know, is obviously, I think, should be option number one, flip that pick for Paul George, try to sign Gordon Hayward. But if you're not going to do that, it seems like the play is draft Fultz, make sure he's not terrible, let Isaiah walk. Yeah, or, and go young. <clears throat> or trade him for scraps, mm-hmm. either one. But, like, it, the the limitations of Isaiah are just always going to be there. And I think any good team, it's it's just, I don't know if it really ever is going to work long term. Uh, it's like, and, it's and like. A, for a championship contender. Because even if they add Paul George and Gordon Hayward uh, and obviously get way, way better offensively. You take mm-hmm. the ball out of Isaiah's hands a little more because those guys need the ball. And yeah. Isaiah is at his most useful when he's being a volume scorer. So you minimize his offensive role a little bit, which, you know, makes him a little worse offensively. And he's still so devastatingly bad on defense. Like Matt Moore was talking about on the most recent CBS Sports pod about like, oh, you know, maybe on a different team that like had a bigger bigger wings and like had a better center defensively it's like i don't know man like i don't really ultimately it becomes an issue like when you're that bad when you're that short um like there there isn't you can't really hide that like 
uh, coming off the bench, I can see that. Yeah. But as a full-time starter, if you're playing 35 minutes a game, it becomes an issue. It's the same thing as a point guard that can't shoot. Teams will exploit that in a playoff series. Yeah, I just don't think there's a real genuine solution for whoever you have him hiding on sets a screen for an athletic wing on uh, on the uh, 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 back screen for an athletic wing for an easy lob. I don't know how you fix that. No, and that's something more and more teams, especially the best teams, um, do. Yeah, like, I mean, they, this they is do the, more one three pick and roll. Yeah, this is the problem with the. This is the Isaiah conundrum. Is like all of his strengths are awesome, but his weaknesses are amplified by just a trillion against really good teams, and they're not in the cute rebuilding stage anymore. It's you're now thinking titles. You're in the conference finals. And I mean, they could go back to that rebuilding stage. I guess you know. I mean, I mean, maybe Markel Fultz is just a superstar, and this is all stupid and worthless. Yeah, you know, I mean, he's the number one pick. I mean, that matters. Uh, I, yeah. I think. Just like I, I'm high on him, but e- even then, if he is a superstar, you have to move on from Isaiah Thomas. Al Horford is still a terrible matchup against the Cavs, um, so you have to move on from him. Like. And and then at that point, if you're moving on from those two, you're you're rebuilding. You're yeah, going, you're out yeah. of. This is the real problem that they face. Is I think if they keep that pick, they don't. If they can't communicate to Gordon Hayward that they're going to flip that pick for Jimmy Butler, or at least they're not going to try. I'm not sure how yeah. interested he is in coming over. I don't think Gordon Hayward's yeah. interested in spending his prime on a team that like has a couple young kids that you hope are going to be superstars. No, that's that's just there's nothing guaranteed with Markel Fultz. Like, and that's like, I'm very high on him. Yeah. I think I think he's going to be great, but that when you're a player like Gordon Hayward, who, I mean, this is going to be his third contract in the league. You're you're starting to look for more sure things. Superstars don't give a shit about kids. They never have. No, they don't. And and like, I just think like keeping Fultz means that this is the core we're going to have for a while. Um, until they get out of the Horford contract. Like, they're going to either stay exactly where they are or take a step back. And that's why you have to move them. I, I mean, I just can't, I can't help but keep going back to this. Is like, you have to flip those picks. You have to have mm-hmm. a plan in place that you approach Gordon Hayward with. Not unlike the Cavaliers, where they could say, listen, we have the assets to go get Kevin Love if you come back. Yeah, we will flip Andrew Wiggins in a minute for him. Where whereas in the Celtics can do the same thing, work their back channel, say, "Hey, we'll offer you Fultz and the Brooklyn pick next year and whatever salary filler we need to match for Paul George or Jimmy Butler." And they get that that wink wink confirmation, they go to Gordon Hayward and say, "Come play here." But until you right. but if you he's not going to come on a hunch, he's not going to come play with kids and that, that, that's kind of I mean what are, what are we doing here if not trying to go get guys like that to go win a title and and the nice thing is with Hayward and George on your team it makes it a lot easier to move on from Isaiah mm-hmm. because if you trade Isaiah for you know maybe Isaiah and Horford for like a different big or something like that you can pretty comfortably know that Avery Bradley slots in as a as a starting point guard on a team that doesn't need him to be a lead creator. Oh yeah, he, like he that, would be fantastic in that role. Because Hayward 
and George have enough off the off the dribble juice to get you into your offense. And Brad, all Bradley needs to do is shoot, get them into their sets. Like, sure, he's not a pure point guard, but you just don't really need one with that mm-hmm. in that construction. Yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see what they do. Um, I think moving on from Avery Bradley would be a mistake. We, we've talked about how good he is a few times already. but Yeah, he's our favorite he, on the team, I think. Yeah, and even though Kyrie is giving him buckets right now, like he, he's making him work. He, he's in position, and traditionally he's, he's someone that has done a great job against opposing point guards. Like he's done a great job on Steph Curry in the past. He's made Kyrie work at times. Like um, he, He's just a fantastic player, and if you do have one of those – um, wings that's capable of initiating the offense like a LeBron James or, or Gordon Hayward or um, a- anyone that can fill in that role, he, he would be an ideal fit at point guard. Like, he'd be perfect next to James Harden. He'd be perfect next to Yanis. Yes, yes, he, w- he would be ideal that's on my, the That's my pet Avery Bradley destination. Is like Al- Although he's not a 6'8 point guard, so I don't know if they'd have an interest in him. <laughs> he's like Deli on super-duper steroids. Like what they thought Delhi would be a good fit. The reasons they thought Delhi would be a good fit are the reasons Avery Bradley actually is a good fit. Right. Uh, I mean, but uh, I did want to go back to Kyrie real quick because he looks like he's turning back into what we wanted to see as a shooter. Uh, the, the confidence is there. Yeah, he's taken five threes a game and he's hitting 46.7% of them. Uh, his assists are slightly down, but once again, this is just a series that really isn't built for him, and he's still putting up 21 and 5 on 59% shooting and 46% from 3. Yeah. And 92% yeah, he, he's from play, the He's line. playing pretty well. Um, I just really think he's the key against the Warriors, and I, I can't move past it mentally how important no, there, he there's, is. There's no way you don't. There's no way you beat the Warriors without Kyrie out playing Steph. It's impossible. Unless there's injuries. It's literally impossible. Like, we know LeBron's going to be the best player in that series. Kyrie needs to outplay Steph. Yeah, like, if you're doing the checklist of stuff that's got to happen, one, Kyrie has to, or LeBron has to be the best player in the series. Has to be. Yep. Can't be close, can't be tied, has to be the best. Mm-hmm. Then Kyrie has to outplay Steph again which is also within the realm of possibility. Yep. And then the Cavaliers. Tristan Thompson. Yeah, Tristan Thompson has to freaking kill their centers. Yeah, he has to make a consistent impact. He has to do, like, he doesn't have to put up great box score stats, but he needs to have an impact similar to what Draymond Green brings. Yep, uh, It and it's possible. You know, I, I Tristan is someone who... I, I, I've said this a couple times, and I keep going back to it because when you watch other teams, it's so obvious that it doesn't happen, is that the Cavaliers have assembled a roster full of guys who play better in the postseason. Yep. Tristan Thompson plays better in the postseason. Kyrie Irving plays better in the postseason. LeBron James plays better in the postseason. I think even— Richard Jefferson. Yeah. Um <laughs> I think even Kevin Love plays better in the postseason. Uh, he has more consistent stretches of dominance in the postseason than he normally does in the regular season for whatever reason. If he has an impact, like if he gets it going against the Warriors, that would be a big, big, big difference maker. 
Like, we know he can make an impact on the boards, and that's something he's going to need to do regardless of what's happening with his shot. But if he's starting to hit, like, four or five threes a game and really maximizing those minutes, um, because the, the Warriors, they're going to need to account for everybody but him. I don't think they can really afford to allocate a lot of their defensive effort to Kevin Love. So if he can make an impact, that that would be absolutely huge. And I thought he played well in the uh, the Christmas Day game. Yeah, he's got to kill switches, and he's got to can't open threes. Yep. Uh, if he can draw fouls specifically, I think a big part of this, um, a big part of this series is drawing fouls on the right guys and getting the right guys in foul trouble. Uh, the the Warriors are not good when Steph sits, so the attack Steph plan needs to maintain, and they're not good when Durant sits without st- like it, if. Both those we, guys. We need their they, core yeah. four to be staggered. Yep. Whether it be foul trouble, whether it be wearing them down, whether it uh, be Mike Brown incompetence. Yeah, it, they need to be staggered as much as possible because those are the minutes you win. Yep. Um, because if if it's starting lineup versus starting lineup, or, or uh, their small ball lineup versus uh, whatever lineup the Cavs counter, those are minutes that you got to hope to tie at least with the Warriors. Um, but you have to win those minutes where they're staggering. Otherwise, you're you're not going to win. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think that if they if they're able to throw off their rotations by getting them in foul trouble, and that's a big part of Kevin Love isn't necessarily. I mean, he's a good post up player against in terms of scoring against on those mismatches. But what he's really good at is drawing those fouls. Like, when yeah. he's got a Lance Stevenson on his hip or a Marcus Smart When he's step, actually getting calls. Yeah, like, he does a really nice job of accentuating the contact, like, running his shoulder up. Like, if someone's reaching in, he, like, will explode into their space and draw those mm-hmm. fouls. And those are really good rhythm killers, especially for in a series that where you want to keep the pace down. So, love is going to be hugely important. But, I mean, I do feel like, in terms of, kind of handicapping the series he feels like a luxury for the Cavaliers not a not a core part of what they have to do against the Warriors because there's a very no, good chance he's going to be limited important players against, their three most important players against the Warriors are LeBron Kyrie and Tristan it, it's just the way the matchup works and I think he has a better understanding of that and a willingness to take on a different role who's the fourth like, most important player oh boy because I'm not sure. It's I think Kevin. there's an argument for Jr. I think it might be Jr. too. Not the best. Because he, not the fourth best, but the fourth most important. Because as you said, Kevin loves an, a luxury. Like, um, maybe it's taking his rebounding for granted, but like that's something he's going to absolutely need to contribute, and that's one of the most important factors in the series. Um, but there's enough supplemental rebounding that maybe LeBron and Tristan fill in one game. Um, but Jr.'s defense is going to be so important, and and hopefully he stays healthy. Like he got hurt in 2015, um, he he may have had a broken shooting hand. He he came into the next season saying, "Oh yeah, found out that my hand was broken. I don't know when it happened, but it's healed now." Um, and then last year in Game One, minutes into it, he scrapes his hand on the floor and wasn't able to make a fist until Game Five. Mm-hmm. Like. And then if had his amazing game seven, third quarter. He did. Where he had those two threes to close the gap when they were down eight. And it looked like, oh, man, this could slip away. 
Yeah. Man, if if JR is contributing on both ends, that's going to make a huge difference because that's something that the Cavs haven't gotten in the finals from him, mm-hmm. at least not consistently over a series. Yeah. Uh, and plus the Warriors are, like, built to bother a guy like that. Uh, oh, for sure. For sure. And honestly, his contributions in the finals last year mostly involved screening for LeBron while Steph was guarding him, being bear-hugged <laughs> by Steph. I, I, I think, just there, I think there's going to be a lot of that. I don't think I'll ever understand the amount of contact they let Steph get away with <laughs> while trying not to let his man screen for LeBron or Kyrie. And the great thing is is that they complain about people jamming him when he's cutting off ball and stuff like that. That oh, It's all plays, but it's, oh, you're physically abusing stuff. Yeah. Like, I mean, he was literally, like, grabbing JR's shoulder and pulling back. Like, please, no, anything but this. <laughs> Not again. So I, it'll be really interesting to see how, uh, we, how he gets put in the torture chamber and... By the way, got you to got you to talk about the Warriors for half the pod. No, I, I knew it was going to happen. I was just saying that we can't do it for the entire pod. It's not our fault the Celtics aren't interesting. They aren't. I, I mean the most interesting thing about the Celtics is what they're gonna do next. Like the Isaiah Thomas yep. conversation is interesting. It's just hard um, to evaluate a game that boils down to they made a bunch of threes. LeBron played shitty. Yeah. And and the Cavs played lackadaisical as hell. Yep. So. Man, it, it's yeah. I, I think it's still going five. I I real well, now. I think it's going five now that they've lost. But are, are you um, anxious at all about your tattoo bet? I honestly forgot about it. Me I was too. watching the game and I was so annoyed about Marcus Smart. And I, I don't get any cell service really at the cabin. Um, so when I got back, we in town, get it. You have a cabin. <laughs> Anyways, I don't get cell service there. So when I got back into town and I'm looking at my phone, I I had a lot of slander in my mentions. And then there was also the mention of the face tattoo. And I'm like, oh, God, forgot about that. We're finding a way to do it. I I don't. If I have to find you uh, like one of those print and peel tattoos that you put like with warm water on your face, I'm going to (laughs) buy one and send it to you. I'll pay international (laughs) shipping. It, international shipping is not cheap. It sucks, man. It'll get to Winnipeg four years from now, and no one will remember the bet. <laughs> Have you gotten the book yet? The, the... I did. I did. Oh, it's I about did damn time. Yes. I'm I'm almost done, which is it's just fantastic. Yeah. Uh, for anyone for... who hasn't read it yet, uh, Win Horst and McMenamin's book was very, very good and very worth your time. Uh, mm-hmm. I read it in one night because I'm an idiot. And we don't get anything from plugging it but it, you will get enjoyment from reading it so that's a pretty good plug i think yeah you're damn right that's free advertising i think <laughs> i think if minimum we should get like five to ten percent of the royalties from the sales for the next month oh absolutely and, and to any sponsors that are listening i mean what we're what we're bringing to the table right now is is worth paying for and just just keep that in the back of your mind. I'm I'm sure there's many of you listening, but many that's, uh, many spo- that's a that's a Donald Trumpian statement if I've ever heard one. Many <laughs> many sponsors are listening. They're very interested in the buying best in. sponsors. The very best sponsors. <laughs> Blue Apron. Well, this is, 
Me undies. <laughs> they're all calling. Hey, me undies is fire, man. That's good stuff. Do you own me undies? I do own me undies. You bougie piece of shit. <laughs> I wear well, cheap boxers is... like an adult. But if me undies <laughs> wants to sponsor, I'll probably get some. I want to feel comfortable. That's, that's cute. That's that's the main. I, I think it's nice that you that you are clearly so like you, you're living in Winnipeg and like what I imagine to be the woods. And, and <laughs> but you still need luxury undies. You do need luxuries. It's even more important when you're living in the wilderness. That's fair. I mean, you you don't get the uh, the comforts that you might get living in a nice city like Chicago. You're damn right, Mr. Big City. Yeah, I'm 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 very I'm urban as shit, very metropolitan. <laughs> anyway, uh, should we? Uh, Anyways, th- should we throw up a prediction for Game Four? Uh, yeah, I, I'm going to say Cavs blow out, uh, 20 point win. 117, 103 is the score I landed on, uh, last night at like two in the morning. And that's what I'm going to stick with. I'm I'm sure gambling had absolutely nothing to do with that. No, it actually had nothing to do with it. I've already lost my damn parlay. So all I'm hoping for is my Cavs and five hedge to survive. So both of us are invested heavily in, the Cavs finishing this off in five. You with your tattoo and me with my uh, bank account. <laughs> well, this has completely fallen off the rail, so this is probably a good place to wrap it up. Again, to our listeners, we appreciate all the support and the feedback. Remember, you can subscribe to us on iTunes as well as on Stitcher. Leave a review if you feel so inclined because it really does help uh, people find the show. It's one of the best ways to support what we're doing. Um, so until next time, go Cavs. Go Cavs.